Hey, welcome to A Little Better. This week on the podcast, we have a special episode that we've been working on for a long time that we recorded with special guests, uh, biblical psychologist uh, Beth Clace, Drew, and myself back in the summer. We can't wait for you to enjoy it as we deal with the practical issues of our current day um, topic of gender identity. Uh, take a listen, and I hope it's helpful for your walk with Christ. Our goal in this podcast is to know Jesus better and by the power of his spirit, do better so together we can be a little better. Hey, welcome to this bonus episode of A Little Better. We have special guest, Miss Beth Clace, uh, and she taught a recent equip class from a couple of months ago uh, titled, What Does the Bible Say About Gender Identity? Uh, and if you haven't listened to past episodes, it's going to be so important for the context of this conversation uh, that set the foundation for this conversation is going to be really centered around application of how do we apply these biblical truths that we've learned from uh, Beth and then put them into play in some real life scenarios. These questions are directly pulled from a feedback form that people who attended that class sent in to us. Uh, and so, well, welcome. You ready, guys? guys ready to dive into this conversation? We'll see. Let's we'll, do it. We'll, we'll see what happens. So awesome. All right. So Drew, this first one, I'm going to direct uh, more towards you uh, because it's kind of context around Northridge uh, Church. So um, let's let's talk about, we use the language around Northridge, welcome home. Is someone welcome at Northridge uh, that may disagree with us on some issues tied to sexuality, um, the trans, gay, LGBTQAI2 community? Are they welcome at Northridge? Yeah, 100%. Uh, we like to say we like to give people a place to belong uh, before they believe. Um, and so we welcome our doors to, to anyone and everyone. Uh, I think we have to recognize that we are broken people and the place you find hope is Jesus. And so that's our goal is to open our doors to all kinds of broken people. Hey, I was broken before I walked into the doors of the church and through Christ I found healing. And so, yeah, it doesn't matter. I think we like to put a stigma on, you know, sexual sin. Like it's, it's yeah. way bigger or way worse. Um, and if you are, you know, a you're transgender or you're dealing with a homosexual relationship, you are welcome at Northridge Church. It is a safe place for you to come and explore who Jesus is and what he did for you. Nice. What about um, some deeper level of not just attending, uh, but what about uh, being active and involved? Can someone be involved and do community group or possibly serve in some various roles at Northridge in that regard? Can they be a part of the church? For sure. I think with anything, as you, you know, begin to lead things, we have different standards for our leaders. So I think there could be some limitations on there for any sin that people are involved in. You know, with our community group leaders, um, we have a standard that they need to meet. And so all of this journey of like growing in the church, becoming more involved is a conversation. We don't have a specific standard of you have to meet this perfection, but we have conversations with people. We help people be transformed by the gospel. And so, yes, I do think someone who is uh, dealing with some of these things, there is a place for them to serve, uh, to greet, and there are places for us to have conversations as they grow in our church. Nice. So let's uh, just get to the the root probably of this question is, is, is it a sin? Um, and this kind of opens up in the regard of, is it a sin to be a part of the LGBTQAI community to identify yourself as gay, lesbian, or trans? 
Do you want me to do this, Beth, or do you want... I'll, I'll start. Yes, I do believe it is sin. I think the Bible makes it very clear that this goes against God's design for sexuality, for male and female. Um, and I say those words not as this me coming down on somebody. If I say this graciously and lovingly that you are walking away from God's best in your life, Mm -hmm. just like any other sin, Mm -hmm. right? Where we choose to live in rebellion to God, we walk away from his best. And I think this is a clear and direct sin according to scriptures. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say the same thing, just, you know, that ultimately drives me back to design. What was God's design for us? And we see that very clearly laid out, certainly in the creation narrative and throughout the Mm -hmm. whole storyline of scripture that, um, not only did God have a design in creating us, but that he, we, as his creation, are, need to submit to him yeah. and live mm. under his authority, not our own desires and inclinations mm. when sometimes they lead us in a very different dire- direction. Yep. Yeah. You brought up a word desire um, in the regard of, so could, could it possible be that someone um, who identifies with this community of these different sexual ethics or things like that could be born with that desire. You know, there's there's a lot of conversation in the past several years have been like, well, you shouldn't put different limitations or standards on someone just because they're born this way. Um, right. h- how does that conversation around being uh, a part of um, gay, lesbian, or in the trans community in the nature of being born with it. How does that relate in that regard? Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, I would be one to say we can't oversimplify this and it's really easy to say that it's all biological or it's all social or, you know, it's, it's the way you're raised. And, and frankly, I think it's all of those things Mm -hmm. that impact our sexuality and our desires. Um, but at the end of the day, we still have to submit to God's authority for our lives. And, and I think this analogy works a little bit if we think of addiction. I do think that people can be born with a propensity toward addiction. And yet that doesn't mean that we say, well, it's okay. Since you were born with a propensity for that, then you should just pursue that. We say, no, I mean, even if you're not a Christian, we generally recognize addictive behaviors are not healthy. Um, So I think, you know, we have to keep those things in mind that even if even if you do fully think that this is something that someone is born with the inclination or desire or you know being homosexual or transgender it's we still run into problems in that having an inclination or desire doesn't necessarily make it Right. I actually think it fits the biblical narrative because guess what? I was born a sinner. (laughs) I was born with sin in my heart, which the Bible makes clear from the, the, you know, the creation narrative to the fall. Right. Mm -hmm. And when Adam and Eve chose to live in rebellion to God, it created a sinful nature. And so I, to me, it's a mood point because I have desires that are sinful in nature. Mm. That doesn't give me an excuse not to live in submission to God, right? Right. God's way is best. And you see that at creation, right? The way he created it perfectly was amazing. We broke it. And anytime we live in a manner that is that goes against God's design, goes against his ways, 
it it breaks us. Yeah. And just because maybe maybe somebody was born with an inclination towards the the same sex relationship, still doesn't give you an excuse to live against God's design. Right. Yeah, which is hard. But and that brings up a word right. that is not popular in our culture, which is submission. Is we're all called as God's creation to submit to His mm-hmm. authority. And Beth, you broke that down and unpacked that. And I think I believe talk one and two. So if you yeah. haven't watched those. Uh, here's another reference point. Go back, watch those, uh, and get a good reference point for this conversation. So uh, this brings us to our next question, which is, um, in light of that, can we be trans? Can someone be transgender and a Christian? Yes, yes. I mean, mm-hmm. we are all sinners. So hey, I'm a Christian. I confess Jesus is my Lord. That He died on the cross and rose again. I still struggle with sin every day. And God is slowly refining me and sanctifying me. And, you know, that's a process. And that process won't be finished until I get to be with him. And so I do think there should be, though, to, to be clear... I think there should be some conviction. I think the Spirit of God should be moving in your heart where maybe you are living in a sinful lifestyle, but there is this uncomfortable conscience voice in your heart that's saying, this is not what's best for you. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that I I would phrase it that, you know, it's the difference between embracing a particular identity or a lifestyle that goes in opposition to God's design for us or wrestling with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you are embracing it, then there's, I would say some problems with that. But if Mm -hmm. you're wrestling with that tension and trying to, you know, figure out how to follow Christ in the midst of desires that pull you in a different direction. um, Which is, I don't want to soften it with this, but I feel like every Christian when if you're reading the scriptures, they should make you uncomfortable right. um, because mm-hmm. they should lead you to self-examination. If you can read through the Bible and read through some of Jesus is saying just in the Gospels about um, what it means to actually follow him, and you're like, can just read over that, like, okay, good, let, with my morning coffee and move on with your life, there's there's some tension there that I would wrestle through. Like, Because I constantly, time and time again, almost every morning, when I'm reading through the Bible, I run across something It's like, man, that, that goes against what... Mm how I'm living my life, and I, I have to reconcile with that. I think what makes it difficult in this conversation is our, our culture has constantly pushed what this one narrative down our throats, and it's really different from the biblical narrative where yeah. um, there are other things that it's like they've aligned, and, and it just makes it muddy uh, in a lot of ways. And I think some of that is, uh, why Why are you accepting this lifestyle? Is it out of ignorance, right? I, I'm just, I just found Jesus and I'm living in ignorance right. to his ways. Right. Um, I think... There, I think there's yeah. a process of sanctification where it starts with knowledge, understanding where God stands on certain issues. And as you grow in that knowledge, it should transform. Like you said, I'm no longer embracing this. I am wrestling with it. I am trying to seek the Lord and adjust the way I live. Yeah, that's good. This uh, question was sent in um, in the feedback form as well. It says, I've heard the argument, um, a popular argument that God created male and female. Um, in the same way he created day and night, and he created these two things uh, all throughout the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. 
but in light of day and night, he obviously also created sunrise, afternoon, morning time, but that's not mentioned in Scripture. So there's these phases of the sun and the moon that aren't mentioned. It's not just the sun turns on and then the moon turns, you know, the sun turns off, the moon turns on. It's just not these strict things like that. Um, and the point is made from this argument that in the same way that God created that, when he created male and female, he also created everything in between, i.e. Uh, LGBTQAI. How would you approach this argument? Go ahead, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say two things. Um, I would say, well, maybe three. I would say one that is a bit of, I think that we have to be careful of taking one thing like the fact that God created day and night and saying, well, because there's all of these other times of day that that means that yeah. gender also includes all of that. Yeah. that that's a, kind of an extension that we don't quite see in scripture. But beyond that, I would say two things. One, that while there is variation depending on where the sun is, day is never night and night is never day. Mm. So I think that that is one issue we would have to wrestle with. And then Secondarily, I also think that the Bible does mention, it does mention sunrise and sunset and high noon and, you know, other times of day are discussed, but we do not see that happening with gender in scripture. It's, it's never referenced that there are variations in scripture. Mm. And so those are some of the limitations I see with that argument. You know, I, I get where people are coming from when they use it, yeah. but I, I see some limitations to it. Yeah, I also think on that note, I agree with everything you said. And I would just say, when you approach the Bible, approach the Bible that this is truth, not what I want it to be truth. Right. And it feels like when you, that argument comes with an agenda, right? Mm -hmm. I want the Bible to say what I want it to say, so mm -hmm. I'm going to try to find a way to get the Bible to say what yeah. I want. And there's a lot of people who approach the Bible from very different angles, and they get it to say what they want it to yeah. say. It's like, oh, see, right here, yeah. I can make this argument, so... Um, all right, let's, let's move to some practical applications of this. So a, as a Christian, um, when it comes to people that I'm in relationship with, they may be friends, family members, workplace, coworkers, um, or anyone in the stream. If they're a practicing Christian that this person is, and they have a relationship with someone who identifies in the trans community who is asking them to use a pronoun different from their biological sex that they've been assigned at birth, or maybe it comes out of left field and they have been called one name, and now they're asking them to call them a different name. What, are, what should we do? What should this person do? Should they um, agree with this person and just go with the flow, call them the name they want to be called, the pronouns they want to be used, or should they resist? Should they not do that? Help us think through this. <laughs> this is... Honestly, I think this is one of the toughest parts about this whole conversation is knowing how to respond to people. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just share kind of like where I would where I would land on this, and I don't know necessarily if there is a solid. This is the right way to do it, and this is the wrong way to do That's it. That's helpful I, to say out of the gate. I, you <laughs> yeah. know, I, I do yeah. think there are some wrong ways, and there are some more right ways. Like, I, but the way I approach it is one, is this person in a relationship with Jesus? That's a huge, for me, indicator of how I will approach it, right? If this person doesn't know Christ, I'm going to respect where they're coming from. I'm going to respect their desires because my goal is not to tell them they're wrong. My goal is for them to see Jesus mm -hmm. and for them to see my love. And hopefully the love and respect that I have for them builds a relationship where I can have conversations about Christ and what he did for us and allow Christ to change people, not my harsh judgment. 
Um, if this person is a Christ follower, I think my approach might be a little bit different in the sense of I might still respect their their desire for the name or the, the gender, but I think I would say, hey, let's let's have a conversation about this and let's talk about where God stands on this. And w- you know, I might ask some questions like, hey, w- why do you feel like this is okay? Why are you living in this manner? Um, I think that's how I would approach it, but I think relationship is really important in this mm-hmm. journey and where they stand spiritually is another really important factor that should kind of gauge how we handle these situations. Yeah. I, I would add to that, like uh, Preston Sprinkle in his book embodied has a whole chapter on this where he presents both cases, like 10 reasons. I think there's a gospel coalition article that's like 10 reasons why you shouldn't use the pronoun. And then there's another article that probably gets put out, 10 reasons why you should. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that was context. I think Drew uh, is, hasn't been in any of these arguments that I've, I've read, which I think is super helpful that you drew out. Beth, do you have anything to add? No, I don't think so. Not really. I mean, I, I think I, I, I agree that I guess my advice would be that we should always be thinking about what the goal is. And if you are going to just use the pronouns that the person wants, then still have a bigger goal than that. Mm. You know, if it's someone you're in relationship with or you're going to see on a regular basis, how can you eventually get to the point where you are sharing the gospel with that person or, you know, there are opportunities to go deeper. Yeah. I think it's easy to say, well, out of compassion and love, sometimes it depends on where you land on these, but I think sometimes it's easy to say in compassion and love, I just want to respect the other person's um, wishes, but then we don't go further than Mm -hmm. that. And so being able to say, yeah, I'm going to do it, but Mm. I'm going to do it with the goal of having opportunities to share the gospel with them. Mm. That's good. That's good. Uh, Now we're going to get practical about the workplace. So thinking about people who are in the workplace with workplace relationships, uh, question sent in is when is the time to take the stand for biblical principles and values in the workplace when potentially that may mean uh, demotion, losing a job altogether, um, or maybe even just being seen as um, a bigot or someone who's you know not loving and not compassionate? When is the appropriate time? Is there any guiding principles that you would give to a person in this situation? Go ahead, Beth. We'll let you start this one. <laughs> uh, well, I think similar to the pronoun question, there's not a black and white mm. answer to this. You know, I think that it context matters. I think the person who is facing this issue matters. Their own conscience matters. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it. So for for one person, they might really feel like I cannot support what my workplace is doing. It goes against my conscience. It violates my conscience. And okay, they might need to take a stand. That might be the thing they need to do. Um, For another person, maybe they're like, you know, this, this is not what I believe, but I'm going to try to walk this path in a way that makes it clear in some capacity where I stand or I have a goal of, of why I'm still going to come along with the organization mm. the way they want me to. Um, and they might be right in doing that. So that's my first thought is, um, and I know that's really frustrating because we want answers. We yeah. want to know, like, what am I supposed to do? Should yeah. I just be like, nope, yeah. I'm standing for truth? Or mm, um, yeah. And my question is, is like, what is taking a stand mean yeah you know like does it mean like hey i need to have a a one-on-one conversation with my supervisor because this compromises my convictions i would say i think that's that's, a helpful that's a helpful stand you know in that regard like does it look like 
responding to a company company like wide email and hitting reply all and then typing out your beliefs. I don't know if I would ever recommend someone <laughs> doing that. You know, um, like what does taking a stand mean in that context? Now, if it's grace filled one on one conversation, like. I think if it's compromising using the principles that you just shared, Beth, I think that could be really helpful. Yeah, I think you take a stand when you're you're forced to compromise, right? Mm-hmm. I think that is the black and white answer. Anytime someone is forcing you to do a sinful thing, you take a stand. But mm-hmm. outside of that, I think God has given us a conscience, and that conscience, like you said, Beth, is different for different people. I think I know a lot of people that would say, no, I can't do that. I got to get out. And I know a lot of people are like, this is my, this is my mission field. And this is where I want to stay and engage and not lose my voice for people who might need it. And so a a good reference point in our um, media, just in this last year, a few months ago, a few Tampa Bay players, right? They, they would fit that kind of this compromise of them choosing not to put the logo on their jerseys. Mm -hmm. And they had an, individual conversation with their team and then they had an individual conversation with their management and their leadership and they asked if they could do this and their management leadership and team respected them and said okay in light of your beliefs we'll allow you to do this um and then obviously they got like canceled in the media and there are some people who's you know had comments about them but the way they approached it was in my opinion probably one of the best ways you could approach it it was very Humble, humbling and grace-filled that it seemed uh, to be on how they thought this thing was compromising their personal convictions and mm. how they chose to progress in that. And I think that that's an important point too. Like, yes, approach it with humility, um, but then also be okay with the fact that there may be negative consequences. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think we don't, we don't represent Christ well when we get really angry that people mm. don't like us for what we believe. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you feel like it's an issue you need to take a stand on, then continue having that humility if yeah. people hate you for it. <laughs> and be prepared for it. Yes. Right? Don't walk into it thinking, oh, I'm going to make the stand. I'm going to be the hero. And you're probably gonna not going to be the hero. Yeah. Right. You're, you're going to be hated for it. And, yeah. you know, hey, Jesus said, you know, you'll be hated for some of the things that he stood for. Yeah, yeah. for sure. All right, now getting practical to uh, the school context, specifically tied to, uh, obviously there's like three groups of people that this may apply to. One is the employee, like a teacher, a school counselor, guidance counselor, administration, something like that. There's the parent, and there's also the student, thinking more probably college or high school age. Um, How do I address this issue in my school? You know, um, we've already kind of talked about the employee, so maybe this circles back around to more parent-student. How do you respond biblically in a mixture of grace and truth to this? Like, when is the right time to take the stand as a student and as a parent, and what might that stand look like? Yeah, can I say one thing about teachers first? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I, I just think it's, in schools especially, there is a lot of narrative being pushed in some sure, schools about this, and I think that creates a lot of tension for teachers, mm. in particular Christian teachers. Yeah, yeah. And I again, I don't think this is a black and white issue. I think different people have to make different decisions depending on their convictions, but Man, I hope that there are Christian teachers who stick it out. I hope that we have Christian teachers who stay in public education and Christian counselors and who continue to wrestle through those tensions Mm. that we are facing in public education right now because uh, if all of the Christians leave, that is very scary. And so, um, you know, does that mean that 
every single Christian teacher needs to stick it out and, you know, yeah. no, no. N- definitely not. Some, you might be in a, a position where your conscience is not allowing it, the yeah. school's pushing it so hard. Um, but I would just encourage teachers that if you're wrestling with this issue, you're not alone. And yeah. man, we need we need Christians, we need yeah. lights in dark places. So. Yeah. yeah, well said. So good. I think when it comes to parents, I think the first stand you need to make is with your kids, yeah. right? Train your kids yes. in godly ways, yeah. right? And, you know, the Bible says it's not a promise, it's a principle in Proverbs. Train them up in the way and they will not depart. And so I, you know, if I'm with my kids, I have four kids. The first thing I'm doing, I'm not fighting the schools. I'm training my kids. I'm pouring God into my kids. I'm teaching them the ways of the Lord. And I think parents don't get so caught up in in fighting political battles and in school battles that you miss out on training who your who your kids are and the foundation that they need. Mm. Um, And you know, I think in in, with the schools and stuff. I think we the nice part is we live in America, and you have the ability as a parent to decide, right? To decide, hey, I'm going to send my kids to public school, and I know I have to be maybe more aware to these things, or hey. You have the ability to send your kids to a Christian school or homeschool. Um, We have the freedom to choose what's best and what we believe is best for our kids. And again, I don't think that's a black and white. I think if you're a parent today and you're sending your kids to public school, I think that's a wise and great choice. I think if you do something different, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in terms of how to address this issue as Christians, if you're a parent and you don't like what is being, what is happening at your child's school, um, you know, I don't think storming the school <laughs> is usually helpful. I recommend pitchforks and, you know. <laughs> but I think that there are ways to have conversations um, that include biblical principles without even talking about the Bible. You know, uh, I think in my talks, I, I talk talked... four. Yeah, talk I, number four. Okay. I talked about, um, you know, natural law as, as being a part of that too, that we can have conversations about, well, how... How do we, um, again, not because of moral reasons or biblical reasons, but how do we really make sure that we're actually helping people who are saying that they're transgender? You know, there's there's hormones that they can start when they're young, puberty blockers, yeah. um, surgical transition, which is often a decade-long process, and it's very difficult and, mm. and can be very painful. Um you know, is promoting or affirming a gender transition always the best choice, even if you're morally neutral on it, you know? And so I think there are ways to have conversations that can be wise and helpful without, uh, you know, feeling like I need to go in and tell them that they're wrong and this is why they're wrong. Yeah. Well, that's super helpful. Um, We have two more scenarios that we want to go through before we wind down this conversation. And the first one is tied to a general um, friends and family. So in general with friends and family, uh, and this could also go to the student in the local school because they, they're friends and their classmates and things like that. Um, h- how do they navigate those relationships? And the question that gets specifically sent in um, is, when do I know to t- start the conversation? If it's mm-hmm. someone that I have a long-standing existing relationship with, like this person's been in relationship with these people for maybe their entire life if they're family members, um, or at least a couple of years if they're friends, and uh, assuming that um, it's, let's assume that it's either someone who identifies with that community of the LGBTQAI, or at least affirms that community of the worldview and the perspective of other 
um, trans people and they're arguing that it's not morally wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. How do they open up a conversation? Do they just dive in? Do they wait till the other person is pushing their views and they brought up the conversation? How do you navigate that? Well, man, I don't know. I mean, I think that it's hard without knowing all of those context variables because that's where my mind goes. I want to know all the details. Um, And you just, you laid out a bunch of it, but I still, you know, I think, where are you? What are you doing? What was being talked about before? When you get into those kinds of debates, how do they usually end? Are you like screaming at people? (laughs) (laughs) Might not be wise. Um, So I think, you know, you have to know yourself. I think Mm -hmm. you have to know how you handle, you know, something that can get very political, very, quickly and if that is a fiery topic for you then you know you might need to use some extra restraint and in knowing yourself you're specifically probably referencing one of your talks where you talked about are you more of a grace person or more of a truth person where you land on (laughs) i just need to tell you what's right yes or do you land more on the side of oh it's okay like i'm gonna have grace with you of like just accepting someone else's view so where are you at on that sliding scale of grace and truth Hmm. yeah yeah, this is personal for me. I have, you know, I, uh, in my family, I have someone who's a homosexual and someone who has, has transitioned to a different gender. And so, again, not black and white, a lot of, you know, outside uh, circumstances that influence. I've always just tried to lean on asking a question versus mm-hmm. making a statement. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think questions are way less intimidating than declaring what I think and how I view. And what I've found to be true is when I ask questions, um, they come across as I'm interested, as I want to know you better. And it's led to conversations where mm-hmm. I'm able to speak truth in a loving and kind way versus yeah. a judgmental type of way. And I am, yeah, again, I think what's really important, especially with family and close friends, is what's true for me. The more comfortable I am with somebody, the easier it is for me to get out of control. Sure. You know, with someone I don't know, I'm usually pretty mild mannered. But if I'm comfortable with someone, I, I have a tendency to say maybe some things I normally wouldn't. And so mm. I think you have to be careful with family too, because it's really easy to get really comfortable and not think before you say something. Yep. Um, and remember, I think you said it really good, Beth. What is your goal? Yeah. Is it just to have a conversation or is the goal to slowly shift the way of thinking? Mm-hmm. And so if you have a goal, what is the trajectory of that goal? If you sit around and just talk about their life and how good it is, I don't know if you're really moving towards that goal. And so constantly keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah. And I also think that that brings up a good point too, that, you know, ultimately if the person is not saved, the real goal is the gospel. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if you convince someone that staying their biological sex um, is the best way to be, but they're far from God, that's still not great. (laughs) That is a a significant problem still. So, you know, it's okay to have these conversations. I think there is a time and a place and it can be wise to engage in them, but also keeping in mind that if it, our conversations never include the gospel, then we've really missed the mark. Yeah, yeah, you're treating symptoms rather than the, yeah. the the actual sickness. We have like two or three more questions as we wind down, uh, but let's get a little bit more personal in this regard. What about parents of children, um, specifically children out of the house, adult children who mm-hmm. are living lifestyles that are different than they disagree with? Because some of these conversations may be the deciding factor of, do I 
no longer get my family at Christmas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the reality of it. Of if I have this conversation, they're not going to come around again. Um, how, how, what kind of advice or thoughts would you give to maybe parents mm-hmm. in that season of life? I would say a couple of things. Um, one, prayer is a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And so never stop being on your knees, praying for your kids, for God to... I think I have to constantly remind myself, I don't change hearts. I yeah. don't change minds. God does. Mm-hmm. And so let's go to the one who actually can do the work that we can't do. Um, secondly, I know one of the big questions Ashley and I ask ourselves a lot is, what if this happens to one of our children You know, on holidays? Are they allowed to come to our house? Are they allowed to celebrate? I've always just leaned on the side of grace there and having a voice into my child's life. And mm-hmm. so I've always told my kids, they are always welcome at our house. No matter how, what they're choosing to do, what they're cho- I want them to have a safe place where I can have mm-hmm. a voice in their lives. Now, I understand there are different ways to approach that. And I think, again, I don't think there's a black and white. I just lean on the side of like, I want to have a, a voice in my, my child's life to preach the gospel to them, to love them and care for them, to see the change that only God can produce. Yeah, and I would add to that um, a book that might be helpful called Space at the Table um, by Drew. And... We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll look it up. okay. If it's written by a guy named Drew, you know it's got to be good. Hey. Right? <laughs> but it's actually written by a, a father and his son. So mm. the father is a theologian, and he teaches at a college or university, and his son is gay. And um, it's a very open, honest book. It's like... Mm painful to read at times just because they talk about missing the mark with each other um, Mm -hmm. at various times through his son's adolescence and young adulthood, but how they have found a way to really maintain a relationship in a hard space. And it's just encouraging and thought provoking. And so if you are a parent who's wrestling with this issue, I'd really encourage you to read that book Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's co-written by both of them. You hear both sides of the story and I think just gives you greater um, awareness of how complicated it yeah, really it is. is. Yeah. yeah. What about with young kids? This is our last question. Um, do we wait until they get this thrown in their face and they start asking questions? You know, with we could talk about how uh, kid and family movies are changing with characters uh, or the school system. We could talk about many things, but do we wait or do we? blindside them with bringing up conversations with them depending on how young they are or old they are like how do we how are young parents like inform me you know i got a i got almost two-year-old and a one-year-old when do i start these conversations I don't know if there's a right time. I think it's an understanding of your kid's maturity, how prepared they are. So I don't know if you could say, oh, of course, by age nine, you got to get it done, right? Mm -hmm. But I think you need to have these conversations. And I would always lean on the side of, I'd rather start the conversation than let somebody else start the conversation. Absolutely. And I also think that, you know, do you need to explain LGBTQ to a four-year-old? Maybe not. But can you explain over and over again how God has a design for them as a boy or as a girl and that God's design for marriage is between a man and a woman and that we love and respect all people because Mm -hmm. they were made in the image of God? Those are three points that we can reinforce from the time our kids are toddlers and they're directly applicable to this issue. So I think, you know, don't feel like it has to be a conversation about LGBTQ issues it can be starting with those foundational principles 
and building from there yep. when the opportunities come. I actually think the foundation is way more important than responding yes. to a cultural issue, right? Yeah. Let's teach our kids the way God designed us. There's actually, my wife has a great set of books and I don't know the name, I can probably find them, that teaches, like it's like uh, uh, age specific and how you slowly introduce your kids to just the differences in yeah. male and female. And mm-hmm. it slowly progresses to sexuality, to sex and all these things that are age appropriate that build the way God designed things. And I think parents need to be a little more aggressive with this, right? I think we have sat back and just said, oh, well, I'll let so-and-so raise your kids, right? Or whatever. Like, no, we need to, God entrusted us with Mm -hmm. our kids. And so we need to be proactive with their biblical education and their foundation, not the church, but we as parents, we will partner with you as a church. We'll do anything we can, but man, parents, we got to be aggressive at teaching our kids a Christian worldview and foundation from the Bible. That's phenomenal. If you could find those, we'll put them in the show notes along with one other resource as we wind down mommy bear apologetics, the guide to sexuality. It's a great read. My wife and I've been reading it together. Uh, And so, well, thanks so much for listening to this bonus episode on, on question and answers that you've sent in uh, from the feedback form around this equip class. What does the Bible say about gender identity? One more push. If you haven't listened to the first four episodes, please go and do that. It'll be so helpful in light of this conversation and many others as we seek to love all those that God has intentionally designed. We'll see you next week. Thank you.